Well, my first question to you this morning uh, is, excuse me, are you a horse or are you an infant? Now, you do know that you're one and not the other, right? But the problem is we often think that we are one when we are actually the other. Right? Now, you guys are sitting there going, Matt has gone crazy. What is he talking about? Well, I haven't gone crazy. And as we proceed, you will understand uh, what I'm talking about. Well, tomorrow is the 31st uh, of October. And uh, tomorrow it will be the 499th anniversary of the key event, uh, the first key event of the Protestant Reformation. On October the 31st in 1517, uh, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses uh, to the church door in Wittenberg, uh, Germany. Now, the 95 theses, if, you've, uh, if you haven't heard of these uh, before, they are uh, 95 statements of protest against the Roman Catholics' uh, use of indulgences. Now, if you, if you don't know what indulgences are, um, feel free to speak to John afterwards, uh, or if you'd like, uh, come and speak to me and we can explain it. I think John might be able to do a better job of that uh, than me. But Martin Luther was protesting against the Roman Catholic use of indulgences. But even though these 95 theses were, if you like, the catalyst to launch the Reformation, Martin Luther himself acknowledged that indulgences wasn't actually the key issue. Indulgences weren't the key issue, neither was, in fact, the authority of the Pope or the Catholic Church's belief in purgatory. These were, in a sense, uh, side issues. The essential issue of the Reformation was this. Do you have a part to play in your eternal salvation? Do you have a part to play in your eternal salvation? See, the Catholics, they said yes. The Protestants said no. Now, the Roman Catholic view can be illustrated a little bit like this and this comes from a man named Erasmus. He says that human beings are a little bit like an infant Okay, an infant child who is not yet able uh, to walk. Now, the, uh, the father of this infant, uh, who represents God, he places an apple across the room from this infant. Now, because this infant can't walk, uh, he is not able to get up on his own and walk over and grab this apple. But what the father does is the father helps the infant up onto his feet. He helps him to slowly walk across the room and he places the apple in his hand. See, the whole time the child had the choice to reject the apple or to reject the help of the father. And the father did not force him against his will. And so this, this is an illustration of how we play a part in our salvation. See, it's a small part, but it is a part nonetheless. See, we need God's grace. The Catholics say, yep, we need God's grace and we can't be saved without it but they say we need, to, we need to, uh, to cooperate with God's grace. We need to cooperate with it and therefore we play a part in our own salvation. Okay, so that's the Roman Catholic view. The Protestant view can be illustrated like this and this comes from Martin Luther. Uh, he debated Erasmus uh, on this issue. Martin Luther says, no, 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 he says that's not, that's not correct. He says human beings are a little bit like a horse standing in between two riders. Okay? One rider is Satan 
One rider is God. Now, the horse does not get to pick his rider. He simply goes where his rider decides for him to go. So, if Satan rides the horse, he goes where Satan uh, leads him. In other words, that person does what Satan commands and, and, and controls him and forces him to do. But if God rides, then that person does what God causes him to do. The horse doesn't have the freedom to choose its rider, it just goes where its rider wills. And so thus, we play no part in our salvation. We turn to Christ, trust him and serve him because God has knocked Satan out of the saddle, taken up the reins and begins to direct the horse. So do you have a part to play in your salvation? This is what I want to look at today. And so to answer this question, we are going to do the thing that we should do with all sorts of questions like this. We're going to go to the Lord and ask him. We're going to go to the scriptures and see uh, what they say. And we will see that Luther was right. Luther was right. We have no part to play in our salvation. It is all of God. It is all of grace. We are horses. We are not infants. Our salvation is all of God and none of us so that we cannot boast. So if you have your Bibles in front of you, would you turn with me to John uh, chapter 6. John chapter 6. And uh, as you're turning there, by way of uh, contrast, uh, uh, sorry, context, uh, by uh, by this stage uh, in John chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verse 35 to 44. Uh, By this stage, Jesus has fed the 5,000 and he has walked on water. And the words that we're going to read, um, that we're going to look at from verse 35 to 44, uh, Jesus spoke these in the synagogue uh, at Capernaum. So the first point that I want to make this morning uh, from this text, or the first point I want to draw your attention to this morning, is that God chose his people and gave them to Christ before he created the world. God chose his people and gave them to Christ before he created the world. See, now I want to point out to you uh, in verse 35 to 37 that Jesus is speaking about a certain group of people here. In verse 35, he says that I am the bread of life. He says, He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And then in verse 36, uh, he says, But I say to you, you have seen me, yet do not believe. So he's already said to them, You've seen me, you've seen the works that I've done, but you do not believe. Okay, and then what he does in the next verse is he contrasts between those who do believe, with the, those, sorry, those who don't believe, with those who do. Verse 37, he says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. See, what Jesus is doing in verse 37 is he's contrasting the unbelievers with believers and he's speaking about believers in a specific way. He's speaking about them as those whom the Father has given him. Those whom the Father has given him. And so what we learn here is that God has given his people to Christ. All who believe in him, all who trust him and follow him, God has given them to Christ. Now the question is when? 
When did God do this? Well, we see, uh, we see that uh, from Ephesians 1, verse 3 to 4. We see that God actually gave his people to Christ before the foundation of the world. Have a listen to this. This is Ephesians 1, verse 3 to 4. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So do you see here that, so what the Bible teaches us is that uh, believers were chosen and they were given to Christ before God had made anything. Before he made the heavens or the earth or anything in there, he chose them and gave them to Christ. And so what that means is that before you were born, before you had done anything good or bad, if you're a Christian here today, then God chose you and gave you to Christ, his son, and commanded him to come and redeem you. So this is point number one this morning. God chose his people and gave them to Christ before he even made the universe. Point number two. All whom God has given to Christ will, without a doubt, repent and turn to Christ. All whom he has given to Christ will, without a doubt, repent and turn and trust in Christ. Have a look at verse 37 in John 6. Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. See, the Roman Catholics assert that God gives his grace so that people might turn to God, that they might turn to Christ and trust in him, but they must cooperate with that grace. They have free will, they must freely cooperate with it, and they can choose to reject that grace. See, it, it, uh, I think their view can be illustrated a little bit like a sailor. The winds are blowing and the sailor can open up his sails and be taken along with the wind or he can choose to close his sails and stay put where he is. But the thing is, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. See, all whom God has chosen and given to Christ will come to him. They will come to him. They will not reject his grace. See, now, I want you to notice in verse 37, it's not some of those whom the Father has given to Christ who will come to him, but it's all of those. All whom he has given to Christ will come to him. They will come to him. That is, they will confess, they will repent, and they will trust in Christ and follow him. And not only that, and this is, this is one of the this is one of the very special and precious verses. There are, the, scripture is all special and precious, but this is precious uh, to particularly, if you're sitting here today and you don't know Christ, then have a listen to this. Because not only does he say that he will, that all, whom, uh, that all whom the Father gives me will come to me, but he says, the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, your trust isn't in Christ and you're just checking out this Christianity thing, can I tell you that you are under God's wrath because of your sin and that you're on your way to hell and that Christ is the only one who can save you but look at what he said. Listen to what he said. 
that he will not cast you out if you turn in repentance and faith in him. So Jesus is teaching us that all whom the Father has given to him will come to him. The question then is why? Why will they come to Christ? Why will they not fail to come to him? And it's because God will draw them to him. Have a look at verse 44. John 6 verse 44. Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Because you see, fallen human beings do not have the ability to turn to Christ. We do not have the ability to come to Christ uh, on our own. Have a listen to this. This is Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 7 to 8. Paul says, Because the carnal mind, that is the mind of the unbeliever, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law, nor indeed can it be. It is not subject to the law, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. See, fallen human beings, that is those who are in Adam, those who do not have the spirit of God, they cannot submit to the law of God. They cannot please God. They are at enmity with him, that is they are his enemies and they cannot come to Christ. They do not have the power or the ability to do so. But you see, it doesn't end there. Not only can we, uh, before we Christians, not only can we come to Christ, but we don't even want to. We don't even want to. Have a listen to this. This is Genesis 6, verse 5. Uh, It says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent, that is, or every purpose, of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Or another way that could be translated is only evil all the day. See, we do not have the ability to turn to Christ in faith and repentance and we don't even want to. Fallen human beings, in a sense, if you like, have free will, but the freedom of our will is limited to doing what our hearts desire. And we've just seen here in Genesis chapter 5 that fallen human beings don't desire to come to God We don't love God, we don't love his ways, we don't desire to walk in holiness and godliness, but every purpose of our heart is only evil continually. See, our will feels free, but it is not free at all because it can only do what our wicked hearts desire and we cannot come to God. And see, the amazing thing is, this is the the most perfect form of slavery. Do you realise that? Because, I mean, it's one thing to be forced to serve a cruel master, but it's another thing to want to. It's another thing to willingly serve a cruel master and not desire to be free. This is a perfect form of slavery. And we are all born slaves to our sinful desires, slaves to Satan. We're not only unable but unwilling to be free and thus we cannot turn and will not turn to Christ for salvation. And so, do you see that the conclusion is, well, if anybody is going to come to Christ, well, then God must draw them. God must do something in them to cause them to come to him. Now, don't think that what I'm saying here is that God forces people to come to Christ against their will. 
right? It's not, it's not like that. I, um, uh, a number of years before I, I started at college, I worked in a supermarket and, uh, and time and time again, you, you see this very often, if you've worked in a supermarket, you'll know, uh, you have mums that come in, they bring their little children with them and they might come past the, the register and of course the lollies are displayed everywhere. And the kid's like, oh, mum, mum, can we have a lolly, can we have a lolly? Mum says no and of course, tantrum, right? Straight away, tantrum. And so the mum kind of has to drag the kid, kicking and screaming, uh, out of the supermarket, out to the car, right? It, don't think that this is what I'm saying. It's not like God drags us kicking and screaming uh, to Christ uh, like this. Have a look at verse 35. Verse 35, it says, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And again, have a look down at verse 40. Jesus says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life and I will raise him up on the last day. See, in these words of Christ, there is an implied invitation. There's an implied invitation. He's, He's saying, come to me and you won't be hungry again. He's saying, believe in me and you will receive eternal life. See, that the gospel call is, in a, is, is a call to people to choose. It's, a, it's an appeal to the will and all who come to Christ do so willingly. They repent and trust in Christ because they want to, because they choose to. And so in light of this, what it means then for God to draw people to Christ, remember verse 44, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. What that means therefore is that God takes a fallen human being who cannot come to Christ, who does not even want to, and he makes them new. He changes them, he changes their heart so that not only do they desire to come to him, but they want to, they have the power to, and God in fact ensures that they do, that they turn to Christ and trust in him and follow him. And see, therefore, the Bible teaches us that all whom God has chosen and given to Christ will come to Christ because God will cause them to come to Christ. God decides, God acts, God ensures that it comes about. God does everything. See, he he jumps on the horse, he takes up the reins and he leads the horse. So what have we seen so far this morning? Well, we've seen point number one, God chose his people and gave them to Christ before he created the world. Point number two, all whom God has given to Christ will, without a doubt, repent and turn to him. And finally, point number three, all whom God has given to Christ will not turn away from Christ. All whom God has given to Christ will not turn away from him. Have a look at verse 38. John 6, verse 38. Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing. Of all that the Father has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up on the last day. See, in the Roman Catholic view, you have the freedom to turn away from Christ. In the Roman Catholic view, you can lose your salvation. 
See, the infant, not only can the infant reject the father's help and reject the apple, but once the infant has received the apple, he can throw it away. Right? He, you, can, you can throw away your salvation in the Roman Catholic uh, view. But this is not the way it is in real life. Because, you see, we, we've seen here in this, in, in this verse that Jesus says, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of God, of the will of my Father in heaven. And what is that will? Well, we see it in verse 39. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I should lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. See, again, notice Jesus is saying, I'm going to lose nothing of all that God has given me. He will not lose one of his people. He will ensure that they do not turn from him. He will cause every single one of his people to persevere in faith and in obedience to him. Now, there was a, the, the reason I picked uh, Jeremiah 32 uh, as our Old Testament reading uh, this morning is because in Jeremiah 32 we see God promising this very thing. Now, let me read to you again uh, Jeremiah 32 and I'll be reading from verse 36. Uh, the Lord says through Jeremiah, he says, Now therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning this city of which you say, it shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword, by famine and by pestilence. Behold, I will gather them out of the countries where I have delivered them in my anger, in my fury and in great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and I will cause them to dwell in safety. They shall be my people and I will be their God. Then I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever. Do you catch that? I'll give them one way and one heart that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me, says the Lord. Yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good and I will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. See, the Father has made this promise and he has commanded Jesus not to lose any of whom he has given to him. And you know what? Jesus promises that he will do that. He will obey the Father. He will not lose any of all that the Lord has given him. Have a look at verse 44 again in John 6. Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus is making this promise. He is saying, I will do it. I will obey the will of my Father. I will not lose any. And see, what that means is if we are truly born again, we will not desire to depart from Christ and we will not choose to depart from Christ. By his Holy Spirit, he will cause us to persevere in faith and in godliness to the very end, to our very last day. So, do you have a part to play in your own salvation? My friends, you don't. The answer of the scriptures is no. Your salvation is all of God. God chose his people and gave them to Christ before he created the world. All whom he has given to Christ will without a doubt repent and turn to him. And all whom God has given to Christ will not turn away from Christ. 
See, we have no, pl- no part, ultimately speaking, we have no part to play in our own salvation. It is all of God. It is all of grace. Are you horses or are you infants? You are horses. You are horses. Once you had Satan ride you, you were not free. You did what he desired. But you know what? Then Jesus came and defeated Satan. He defeated him on the cross with his death and his resurrection. And when the time came, God knocked Satan off the saddle. He jumped on the saddle. He took up the reins and he began to lead you. And you know what? He will lead you all the way home. He will lead you all the way home to the stable, safe in the kingdom. He will do it and he will do it not because you deserve it. I hope you you realise that. He will do it not because you deserve it but because he graciously chose you. He graciously chose that he would do that for you. You will persevere and make it into into the kingdom not because of your own effort but because Christ will not let you turn from him. Our salvation is all of God and none of us. We are horses, if you like, and not infants. Now, having looked at that this morning, having looked at the fact that this is what Christ teaches us in John chapter 6, I want to look at some implications of this truth uh, in our day-to-day lives. And uh, I suggest uh, five things. Uh, First of all, reject the idea of free will. Now, this cuts across our grain as, as uh, particularly as Westerners who live in, in our society who, in a sense, idolise the freedom of our own will, we must reject free will. Because, you see, you think you're free because when you act, it feels like you're acting out of your own free will, doesn't it? It feels like, oh, I choose this and so I do it, therefore I'm free. But our passage today has revealed that that's not actually the case, is it? See, when you repented and believed in Christ, it felt like you did it out of the freedom of your own will. You went, well, of course Christ is Lord. You know, of course I'm a, I'm a sinner and I need him. So you, you chose him, you, you trust in him. And, and day after day, as you put to death the flesh, as you strive to turn from sin and to walk in his ways, it feels like you're doing it off your own effort and, and out of the freedom of your own will, doesn't it? But the thing is, our passage today gives us a peek behind the curtain, as it were. It reveals to us that before you were were saved, you were slaves of Satan. And it reveals to us that you repented and turned to Christ and continue to walk in his way because God drew you to Christ, he caused you to trust in Christ and because him, by his Holy Spirit, causes you to persevere in godliness. See, Christ is now your master. So let us reject this idea of ultimate, independent free will. Secondly, let's put away all pride and all boasting. Let's fall on our knees and thank God for our salvation. Have your sins been forgiven through Christ? Do you have peace with him through Christ? Are you his adopted child? Do you enjoy a peace of conscience because of Christ and what he has done? Well, don't boast as if you gain that by your own choice, by your own efforts. See, you have this because God chose you, not because you, out of the freedom of your own will, chose him. And once more, are you growing in holiness? 
Can you look at, your, uh, at the, uh, the years gone by and see how you're turning from sin and growing more toward Christ? How you're being more, your life is showing more of the fruit of the Spirit? Well, don't boast as if you've achieved that by your own efforts. Fall on your knees and be grateful to God because it's Him who has done that in you and not you by your own efforts. See, you're able to do good and serve Christ, not because of anything in yourself, but because God has drawn you to Christ and Christ has set you free. He's set you free from sin and by the Holy Spirit you are walking in his ways. See, what we need to realise is if it weren't for God choosing you and if it weren't for God drawing you to Christ, you wouldn't be here this morning. You might still be in bed, you might be... Uh, doing this or doing that, but you would be still under the condemnation of God and heading straight for hell. So you've been saved because God decided you should be saved and not because you decided that you should be saved. Had he not decided to save you, there is not a thing you could have done about it. And as we've looked at, there's not a thing that you would have wanted to do about it. You would have, if you like, rejected that train and taken the train that's heading straight for hell. So let's put away all pride and all boasting. Let's give God the glory for our salvation. Let's fall on our knees in humility and in greatness, thanking him for saving us, thanking him for drawing us to Christ, thanking him for this peace of conscience and this adoption and this freedom that we have in him. And following on from this, the third implication, let's rejoice in assurance of our salvation. Let's rejoice in assurance. See, because you know that salvation is God's work from beginning to end and because you know that Christ will not lose one of all who have come to him, that means you can have assurance of your salvation. See, and this was a big issue at the Reformation because the Catholics have no assurance of their salvation. If you you correctly understand what they're teaching and grasp that, you have no assurance. Because the thing is, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link, right? It's you and God. You must cooperate with God's grace. And you see, God is faithful. God is trustworthy. He will not fail to uphold his half or his part. Therefore, that means essentially under the Catholic system, your salvation is on your head. And I don't know about you, but I know myself well enough to know that if I could depart from Christ, I would. Because I'm a fallen sinful human being who is weak. In the Catholic system, there is no assurance. But what we've seen is this is not what the scriptures teach. See, you can put your head on the pillow at night and you can have peace and have assurance of your salvation, knowing that it's not all on your shoulders, but it depends on the faithfulness of God. It depends on the power of God and he is faithful and he is powerful. So my question this morning is, do you have assurance of salvation? Friends, if you do, rejoice in that assurance. Be strengthened this morning in that assurance by what Jesus has said in John 6. But if you don't have assurance of salvation this morning, then can I encourage you, repent of your sins, trust in Christ's all-sufficient sacrifice and meditate on this Scripture, this passage we've looked at this morning. And I can assure you that assurance won't be far behind. Implication number four. 
And these two, uh, implication number four and number five, concern uh, evangelism. If, God, if it's God who call, causes us to turn to Christ and to trust in him, well, friends, let's pray for our unbelieving friends and neighbours. Let's pray for them. Let's pray that God would do that and draw them to Christ. Let's pray that he would cause them to want to hear the gospel. Let's pray that he would reveal to them his holiness, that he would help them to see themselves as they are, sinners, unworthy, only deserving hell. Let's pray that they would see Christ in all his glory and that he would cause them to trust in him and repent. See, this is God's work. This is God's work. He did this in your heart. Let's pray that he would do the same thing in the heart of your unbelieving husband, unbelieving wife, unbelieving siblings or or friends or, or work colleagues. Let's pray because it is ultimately God's work. And finally, let's share the gospel with confidence. Let's share it with confidence because all whom God has chosen and given to Christ will come to him. Therefore, let's go out and share the gospel all over the place, knowing that it's not actually our job to save people, it's our job to testify to the glory of God in Christ, to the grace of God in Christ. That what, is it, what does it say in 1 Peter? That we should, um, we should testify to the excellencies of the one who called us into his marvellous light. See, it's our job to faithfully share the gospel. And this is the, this is the cool thing, I, I love this, is that if you're speaking to someone and you're, you're sharing Christ with them, you're telling them about the grace in, of Christ, The thing is that if this person is someone whom God has chosen and given to Christ, they will come to Christ. They will not fail to come to him, right? And you will have had the privilege of having a part to play, uh, to uh, to being the one that contributes to sharing the gospel with them that they might come to Christ. See, in a sense, we can't fail. (laughs) We can't fail because if God has chosen them, they will come to Christ. So let... Let's let that embolden you and cause you to be courageous with the gospel and with reaching out to people. So in conclusion, are you a horse or are you an infant? Well, I'm sorry if you picked an infant at the beginning, but you're a horse. You are a horse. You have no part to play in your salvation. You were born with Satan riding you and directing you. And if you're a Christian here today, then Christ has knocked Satan off the saddle. He's jumped in, he's taken up the reins and he will lead you all the way to the stable. He will lead you all the way to the kingdom. And so because of this, friends, because of this truth, let's reject the idea of absolute free will. Let's put away all pride and boasting and fall on our knees in thankfulness to God. Let's rejoice in assurance Let's pray for unbelievers and let's share the gospel liberally knowing that everyone whom God has chosen will come to Christ without fail. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we humble ourselves before you. We bow low before your sovereignty and your majesty and your grace. Lord, we acknowledge that our salvation is all of you. Lord, would you forgive us if we have boasted? Forgive us, Lord, if we have thought thoughts of pride, thinking that the, the blessed place that we have uh, with you in Christ is a result of anything that we have done. Lord, we thank you so much for 
your sovereignty and your grace, that we don't deserve it, but you sent your son to die for us. And not only that, Lord, but you sent your spirit to open up our eyes to the truth, to draw us to him, cause us to trust in him. And to uh, and Lord, you will hold us, you will cause us to persevere. We thank you, Lord Jesus, you are faithful and you will not lose one of us, but raise us up on the last day. Lord, we pray, would you help us to grasp this truth more and more, that we might overflow in thanksgiving and, uh, and joy and praise to you. Lord, would you give us assurance of our salvation uh, in this? Lord, would you help us to pray uh, for our unbelieving uh, friends and to share the gospel liberally? And we thank you so much, Lord, because we know that your purposes will be fulfilled and there's no one that can thwart them or hold back your hand. So, Father, this morning we thank you, we praise you and we bow low before you. In Jesus' blessed name, amen.